Uh, I'm not going to sing uh, like Ron Canoli, or I'm not going to sing at all, uh, ever. Uh, you're welcome. Um, great to have you here. I can see quite a number of uh, new faces, first-time guests, so, so a special welcome, echoing what Louis already said earlier. Great to have you here. You picked a great day to be here. Uh, every day is a great day to be here. You picked a great day to be here because of what we're going to be teaching now. But uh, to, to, to give you the bad news is this is the third uh, but final week of a series that we're teaching on called Unqualified. The good news, however, is that you can go back and listen to the podcast of the previous two weeks, and uh, they are proving very, very popular um, and very helpful. I've been getting lots of great feedback of people that have been learning, growing, applying what we're teaching. And it, the, the series was inspired by a book uh, written earlier this year by Stephen Furtick by the same name, Unqualified. How, not if, how God uses broken people to do big things. And so what I'm gonna teach today is, is not directly from this book, but very much a companion and a complement to the book. So I'd encourage you to get a copy. I know many of you already have done that. I have a copy here and it is going to you, my friend, Jordan May in the front row. See, keep sitting in the front row, Neil, your turn will come, you'll get gifts. Uh, it's, all, it's all, you are qualified for free books simply by sitting in the front row. Front row is free and it's priceless. Um, and, and, and I'm giving that to you because you are a part of Club Unqualified and I'm in the same club and God wants to use you to do big things and you simply need to keep following Him closely and taking next steps and that's an investment into your calling and your future. So, all righty. Hey, uh, open the Elevate app and you'll find a Bible tab. Boom, it's got a Bible on it and it's, it's also got a book which also happens to be the Bible. Uh, click that, it'll take you to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, while you're uh, doing that, let me, let me give you the context, catch you up with this, uh, what the author had written up to this point. The book of Hebrews, we don't actually know who the author was, there's speculation, no one knows uh, definitively, but we know who, his, who he was or she was writing to, they were writing to, to the early church, but, but not, not just sort of a broadcast to the early church, they were actually writing to the, the Jewish people, those Jewish people who had recognised that Jesus was the Messiah they'd been waiting for. We, we these days may call them Messianic Jews. They didn't call them that at the time. In fact, this group of Jewish people who had, who had chosen to start following Jesus um, were very much uh, a fringe, um, almost a sect, if you like, uh, within their Jewish community. And, and they were just getting started and they were, and they were actually finding it quite difficult. And, the, and one of the reasons they were finding it quite difficult to, to get this, this thing going is because it was so very different from what they'd been brought up with. They'd been brought up with uh, coming to God with, with sacrifices, coming to God hoping that He'll accept you, hoping that you'll prove yourself worthy, hoping that, 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 that by what you do, God will kind of show up in your life. And now they had to adjust to this new way of approaching God, which was the fact that the sacrifice had been made once and for all time by Jesus. And so they were very much dislocated in, in, in terms of um, how they were getting this thing going in their community. Plus they were, 
because they'd broken away, if you like, from traditional Judaism, they were getting a lot of opposition. And so the writer starts to write this, uh, this uh, letter, instruction to them um, because he recognised that, that they were struggling uh, with stability. And it's kind of a bit of a no-brainer because you and I both know that many times new things, by virtue of them being new, cause instability. You know, those of you that had your first child, it's quite plausible that you drove home taking all the back streets at 25 kilometres an hour because you didn't want to break this fragile thing that was in the capsule in the back seat. But by the time you had your third child, you just strapped that thing to the roof and flew down the freeway. See, it was no big deal. But new things can cause instability. And this this writer of Hebrews was writing, and he was actually writing like a coach. He was saying, I recognise that things are challenging. I recognise that, that, that there's opposition. I recognise that you're struggling to get this thing going, but, but I want you to keep going. And, 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 I, and not only do I want you to keep going, what, what he did is he, is he called to the witness stand. You go back, don't do it now. This is your homework. You go back to the start of chapter 11 and you'll see that the writer called to the witness stand these, these, these giants of the faith, these heroes of the Bible, people that were written about in what we now call the Old Testament. But it wasn't called the Old Testament to the Jewish people. It was the book of God, the book that, that, that they would have studied in school. Uh, they, they would have known these, these heroes, these giants of faith. And so he called to the witness stand and, and reminded them about Noah. And, and then he called to the witness stand writing about Abraham. These were, these were heroes to these people. He reminded them about Isaac, about Jacob, about Joseph, about Moses, about Rahab. And, and, and he gave some, some with each of the, the, the references to those heavyweights, he gave some of the, reminded them of what those people did. Moses, remember he did this. And, 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 and he was going on and on and on. And he got to what we now call verse 32. And, and he said, and what more shall I say? It's kind of like, you know, in summary, wrapping up, um, it, which if you're a preacher, it is completely meaningless when you say something like that because it's very rarely true. Um, I do not have time. He's going on. I don't even have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith had conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. These were sort of like, these guys need a mention, but I'm kind of running out of time and running out of space. So I just kind of just throw their names up there and and give you kind of a summary of what they all kind of collectively did. Now, these are some some pretty... um, uh, big deal Bible faith heroes in history. And I understand why the writer would have bragged about them. He would have said, you know, to the, the, the people he was writing to, these Jewish Christians, uh, hey, these guys kept going and, and, and you can take inspiration from them in your life to keep going. 
Sometimes we need a reminder that, that we're not the first ones to face the battles that we are currently facing. Others have faced them in the past and others have, have, have got a victory out of their battles in the past. Just knowing that, just knowing it's not just me, it's not just you, you're not the first, you're not the only one. Even just knowing that before the victory comes can be incredibly encouraging. And so this writer's rolling out this, uh, this uh, hit list. Um, David, you know, uh, I can understand why he included David. Samuel, who I'll come back to in, in a moment, Samuel was a prophet, prophet, someone that speaks on God's behalf. And, and, and God had said to Samuel to go and find a new king for the, for the nation of Israel. And he sent Samuel to a guy named Jesse, his house. Go to Jesse's house and, and, and one of Jesse's sons, he had seven sons, one of them I have handpicked ahead of time to become the next king of Israel. So, so, so Samuel went to Jesse's house and said to Jesse, hey, bring out all your sons uh, because one of them, God has, wants to become the next king of Israel. So, so Jesse brought out six of his seven sons. He didn't even bring David out. Didn't even bother, to, he was out tending the sheep. Didn't even bother to go fetch him. Cause he, he, he said, that guy is, is obviously not the pick. And, uh, and uh, Samuel went through the six and goes, nah, 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 nah. Disqualified, 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 disqualified. Jesse, you got any more? He said, yeah, yeah, I got one more. He's down the, the sheep, didn't even figure he'd be, like, why would I have brought him in? He's the youngest kid, he's, go get him. And he brings him in and yeah, that's him. He's, he's not disqualified, he's unqualified. And you thought he was un, being unqualified meant God couldn't use him, but actually he's the one I have chosen. He's unqualified, but he's not disqualified. So I'm, I can see why the writer talked about David. David went on to face Goliath. It, it, was, it was such a one-sided contest or so it, so it seemed before he went into the battle that, that the king at the time, Saul, tried to talk him out of it. But he, it's a suicide mission. And he went anyway and proved that, that you plus God is better and bigger than any enemy that comes against you. So I can understand why he included David. Samuel, Samuel was the prophet who anointed David as king. But Samuel's mum is a lady named Hannah. And for many years, Hannah had been barren. And God answered her prayer to have a child. And that child was Samuel who went on to anoint David as king. And sometimes we need a reminder that even in barren situations, God can still bring life. God can still turn things around. Even when you, you think that something's dead, God can breathe life into dead bones and they can become life again. God, not barrenness, not circumstances, gets to have the last word in every situation. We need a reminder of that. So I can understand why he included Samuel. Gideon, I can understand. Gideon started working in a wine press and ended up a great warrior. He started at the bottom, literally, and, and made his way to the top. Uh, and I can understand that as well, because some of you felt life kick you to the bottom, squash you to the bottom. And, and, and we need to be reminded that, that God can bring promotion out of any circumstance. Jephthah, maybe, maybe you don't know so much about him. He doesn't tend to get as much airplay as some of the others. But, but the thing about Jephthah is um, his mother was a prostitute. And uh, oftentimes when people are written about in the Bible, and it was, it was a cultural thing, that, that would be, uh, you know, 
uh, written their name and then comma, son of somebody, you know, Mark, son of Alan. Uh, when Jephthah was, was referenced in the Bible, they didn't actually know who his father was. He didn't know who his father was. In fact, when he was referenced in the Bible, it, it, was, it was just referenced Jephthah and the town he came from. Meaning it's possible that any one of the, the men living in this town could be his dad. That's, that's where he came from. That, that was his label. That was his background. That was his history. That was, that was what he had to, to walk around with the shame of his mother's lifestyle. And yet God... He went on to make some stupid decisions and people that come from broken homes, unfortunately, some of them do make stupid decisions, but eventually God used him. And again, it doesn't matter what your background is, you're not disqualified because God can turn things around. And we need to be reminded of that. So Jephthah gets a mention. Barack, well, that's an obvious one, going from a first-term senator in Chicago to becoming two times President of the United States. That's okay, so that doesn't need much explanation. But... But what about Samson? So Samson gets sandwiched in there. And Samson, Samson, uh, he's known for two things. If you, if you ever went as a kid into a church, you probably got taught this. Uh, maybe you don't know the story, but let me, let me catch up. He was known for two things. The first thing he was known for was his strength. When, 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 when Samson walked the earth, he was a strong dude. Uh, one time he was um, attacked by a lion and what he did simply was grab the lion and tore it in half. Game over. He, he, he had a bet with some people and he lost the bet. And the wager, if he lost the bet, was that he would have to give each of the people he bet against an outfit, a, a, a set of clothing. There was 30 people. So he, needed, he lost the bet. He had to give 30 Outfits. Now, he didn't just log on to the Iconic and order them 30 uh, hand-picked uh, outfits. He, he went to the enemies of the, of the Israelites, the Philistines, killed 30 of them, ripped off their clothes, and then distributed the, the clothing that, from the people he just killed to, to the 30 people he lost a bet with. It's pretty impressive. Um, the people of Israel, who actually God had called Samson to lead them against the Philistines, the people had got so frustrated with, with, with Samson, and, and you'll see a little bit of why, that they actually handed him over to the Philistines. And Samson, Samson became a, a prisoner of the Philistines at one point, but uh, he didn't like that. And so he broke free and, uh, and he saw the jawbone of a donkey lying on the ground. And so he picked that up and he went and killed a thousand of the Philistines with the jawbone of the donkey. It's cool. God can use jawbones of donkeys. God can use what's in your hand to do what God's called you to do. You don't, God doesn't call us to use what we don't have. God calls us to use what we do have and trust Him to bring the victory and, and bring the increase. So Samson was known for his strength and he was also, the other thing he was known for was his hair. And the two of them were, were, were connected. It was believed that, that, that his hair was connected to his strength. Um, and he ultimately made a stupid decision that resulted in, in him getting a haircut 
and losing his strength. So, so, so that's why it's peculiar to me that Samson's included in this list of people who, whose weakness was turned into strength when Samson's story was that his strength was turned into weakness. So why is he on that list? Samson had taken what was, what's called the Nazarite vow. Now the Nazarite vow uh, was a vow that people who, who felt a, a, a significant calling by God would take that would, that would demonstrate that they were set apart for God's plans and purposes, okay? And if you took the Nazarite vow, there was three things that you committed to, to, to never do. Uh, one was to never touch uh, alcohol or even anything made with grapes. You couldn't even eat sultanas, true story. Um, you uh, weren't allowed to touch a dead body, and finally, the Nazarite vow to demonstrate that you were set apart for God's plans and purposes is, is you were never allowed to have your hair cut. Now, I want you to fast forward in, in the Bible to Judges chapter 16. You'll see uh, we've got a new little uh, Bible tool in there. It's very, very simple to get to Judges chapter 16. And I'm gonna pick up that story, Samson's story from, from chapter 16. At this time, Samson had already broken the first two of the three parts of the Nazarite vow. He'd already drunk alcohol and he'd already touched a dead body. You, you, you think maybe it's just a matter of time before he breaks the third one because it seemed to the outside world that the vow, which by the way, vows are not um, ideas, they're vows and they're not meant to be broken. And um, he'd already broken two of, of the vows. So we pick up the story, Judges chapter 16 and verse 19. After putting Samson to sleep on her lap, Delilah is the chick's name. She called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair. Samson was the first man in history to have dreadlocks. See, Zodwa? It's cool, huh? Becky, don't you laugh. I'm looking at you. You look good, man. You're like Stevie Wonder's love child, man. I've already told him that. That's not a new joke to him. He's got his sunglasses. He looks like Stevie Wonder. He's amazing. Amazing. I'm saying because I'm jealous, man. I mean, dreadlocks. I mean, dreadlocks is maybe braid the hairs coming out of my ears these days. But anyway. Ugh, ew. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Can't see. Call for someone to save, shave off. Sorry, podcast audience. The seven braids of his hair and began to subdue him and his strength left him. See, Samson's Strength became weakness. About four years ago, uh, I was getting frustrated. I, I, I competed in triathlon and I was getting frustrated because I ha had recurring Achilles uh, injuries, partial tears, inflammation. And it meant I couldn't run and uh, I mean, I pulled out of some races that I'd entered and so on and so forth. And it had been a, a recurring issue in, in both Achilles. It, it, I, I, I joked that, they, that, that when one Achilles kind of resolved itself, the injury would just jump to the other Achilles somehow and then the other one would be injured for a period of time and then that one would kind of get better and then it would jump back to the other one. So um, I went to see my physio and, uh, and, and, I, you know, and, and I told him what I'd been doing. I'd been doing, you read, uh, you know, uh, articles and so on about how to strengthen your Achilles. It's very difficult to strengthen tendons. They don't typically get much response, but you can strengthen the muscles. So calf muscles is the obvious one. So I'd been doing a lot of these uh, calf raises, you know, 
Schwarzenegger style, uh, using Arnie's grandmother's weights, but um, doing uh, calf raises. So I told him, I see, I'm doing calf raises. I mean, I have strong calves, you know. And, uh, and yet I keep getting these Achilles injuries. And uh, he said to me, your issue is not a lack of strength. Your issue is a lack of stability. And I was like, uh, okay, uh, what should I do about that? He said, you've got to work on your stability. You've got to work on your core. Now, core is like this kind of thing that gets thrown around, this magical word. No one, people that say it, most of them don't have a clue what they're talking about. Working on your core, uh, the easiest way to, you'll never forget this, it, it, it involves stabilising uh, nipples to knees. Front and back, nipples to knees. Yeah, it's easy, you can remember that. No, it's, it's, I'm here to help. And, uh, and, and so he said, you got to, so, so he gave me all of these exercises designed to stabilise things, nipples to knees, in order to resolve my Achilles which is not between my nipples and knees. Because my issue wasn't a lack of strength, my issue was a lack of stability. And when you have instability in one area of your life or multiple areas of your life, it will affect the outcomes in other areas of your life. You can have great strength, but lack stability and you won't achieve the outcomes that God's called you to. Not because you haven't got access to His power. We sang about it all morning, about how we've got access to to God's power. You can have the strength in you, but lack the stability to apply it when you need it. I'm gonna talk real quickly, that's also not true, about key areas that, that we need to improve our stability in. And I'm confident that if you can increase your stability in these key areas, that you will see the outcomes in your life change dramatically. Not because you've increased your strength, you've got the same strength of God's Holy Spirit living inside of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the strength who raised Jesus from the dead, you know, Jesus only borrowed the tomb. You don't buy something if you don't plan on staying in. See, He knew he had, access, he had access to the strength that could raise Him from the dead. You and I have got access to that same strength. But if we lack stability, we won't be able to apply that strength in the way God's designed it. So here's an area. Are you emotionally stable? Now, I'm probably not gonna ask you that question. I'm gonna ask your spouse. I'm gonna ask your kids. I'm gonna ask your boss. I'm gonna ask your colleagues. I'm gonna ask the people that work for you. I'm gonna ask them. Because they'll, they'll, they know. They know if you're emotionally stable. You could kid yourself, they know. Are you emotionally stable? We need to have emotion. Emotion is a gift from God. <laughs> Flatlining, Emotions, compressing our emotions into this minimal bandwidth. That's not God's best. Junior comes home from school, just aced his exam. Got an A, got an A, mum. Oh, that's good. What? 
show some emotion, mom. There's a character in The Simpsons, Reverend Lovejoy. It's, it's, it's a satire. And when he preaches, he lacks emotion. Can you imagine if every week I stood here like this for 30 minutes and spoke like this and then said, God's good, see you next week. (laughs) What about you worshiping God? Yep, God, you're awesome. Emotions are a gift from God and they're a gift to be used for His plans and purposes. The, the problem is too many people don't have emotions. Emotions have them. Uh, Louis, have you come on up? Louis, I asked last minute uh, to just share a story of hers uh, around this uh, topic of emotional stability. My Superwoman journal. Wonder Woman. The, the movie trailer Wonder just Woman. dropped overnight. Oh, sorry. Stuff I know. I like her. Okay. So 15 years ago, um, it was a very different place than I am now emotionally. Um, I was the kind of person that would reach the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and it would happen probably in a matter of minutes, not hours. Um, And I was thinking about like one specific example that I could share with you, but in actual fact, it wasn't one, it was everything all the time every day. So it would be things like, you know, I would fly off angry at the drop of a hat or I'd be completely like ecstatically levitating on a different planet of joy, happiness kind of thing and then I'd plummet to a place of possible depression of, you know, life is over, everything's ruined, my life is never going to be the same again. Quite drama queen-like really and um, it was really quite an interesting time and the thing that was quite interesting about it is you would kind of expect that that would be the case in my life because of my background, family of origin, my personality, being Italian. So that was already, you know, I'm kind of kicking off at that part already, living in a family that was quite fiery and quite um, just knee-jerk at everything. Like, it just was the most incredible, incredible thing. Now, I could have kind of fallen into this, well, that's just me, deal with it, right? Like, so what? That's who I am, I'm Italian. Pocket rocket, all that kind of stuff. That's okay. But interestingly, my lack of ability to control my emotions inhibited my ability to fulfil my potential and God's calling on my life. And that was really true. Because as a result of that, there was times where people wouldn't take me seriously when I wanted them to. And I couldn't kind of feel like I could lead effectively. And that was really my lid because I kind of started getting this impression from the a youth leader particularly at the time, um, that I, you know, oh, yeah, watch out for Louie because she might, you know, lose it in a minute or she might cry. Like I remember I was leading a team. Well, this is one I can tell you. We were leading a team. I was 
with my team and something was kind of happening for me and I just burst into tears. Um, and it's okay to be vulnerable, that's okay, but it was like all the time, it was either like crying or angry or whatever and it was just like these poor kids are looking at me like she is crazy. That wasn't necessarily true. It was more about how I wasn't stable in my emotional world. So what did I do? Came across this incredible, incredible, incredible book. I love this communicator and leader. Her name is Joyce Meyer. Don't know if you've ever come across her before, but she's incredible. The book is called Managing Your Emotions. Mm. I read that book from top to bottom and I even allowed myself to write notes in the margin because I can't stand doing that in textbooks. Now I'm all right, I'm over it. But back then it was like, oh my God, I can't highlight the book, I'll ruin it. But I did. And I just really made sure that I understood where this place was coming from. And the second thing I did was I meditated on God's Word, quite literally, Galatians 5.23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. And self-control. And self-control. I would speak, pray and say this over and over and over and over and over. Like sometimes, and I'm not actually exaggerating now, sometimes 200 times a day. I would like, that was my mantra Mm -hmm. for a little while. And what I found was Joyce's book gave me the understanding and tools to use, but God's Word gave me the breakthrough to continue my transformation. Mm. So now I kind of have hopefully, I think, a little bit more stability in my emotions. Well, people can ask me and I'll tell them. They will say that I'm right. But it's, you know, the the, the reason I asked Louis to to share that story is because she had to actually break through. She had to actually get more stable with her emotions to fulfil her calling. One of the most important things a leader brings to every situation is consistency. And if you're emotionally unstable, you will not be able to effectively lead people because they can't follow you if you're flipping and flopping emotionally. So emotional stability, have emotions, but don't let emotions have you. Commitment is another key area of stability that we require. And, and in fact, it's, it's often intrinsically linked to emotional instability. Have you ever, those of you who are parents, have you ever asked your kid to do something when they were younger and their, and their simple answer was, no, I don't want to. It's a sign of immaturity and, and it's, you know, it's understandable when you're a kid, it's a sign of immaturity that, that you like to only do things that you like to do. You, you like to apply your commitment to your preferences. When you feel like it, you do it. When you don't feel like it, you don't do it. But if you're still living that way in your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, it means you're growing old, but not growing up. And that's a big difference. We should be more consistent in our commitment. We should know what's important and apply ourselves consistently to the priorities, not the preferences. That's a sign that we're maturing. Um, <laughs> one of our best friends, uh, they, they live uh, just outside of LA. And um, when their oldest son was, uh, was uh, transitioning into high school, he, had, he was demonstrating some uh, potential in basketball. So they enrolled him in a school that was actually a, a 40 minute each way drive. They enrolled him in a school because it had a, a, an elite basketball program. And so they wanted to give him the best opportunity to succeed 
um, in, in, in fulfill his potential in basketball. And so he said to his dad, uh, when, he, when he was started school, he said to his dad, okay, dad, every morning, I want you to wake me up at five o'clock and I want you to take me to the gym, the gym a few blocks away from the house, take me to the gym and I'm gonna do a workout, then bring me home and, and then I'll, I'll get off to school. So Monday, 5 a.m., my buddy goes and wakes his son up, gets him out the door, takes him to the gym, brings him back. Tuesday, 5 a.m., gets him up, takes him to the gym, brings him home. Wednesday, opens his bedroom door, calls out to his son. Day three, and his son says, Dad, I'm not feeling it today. <laughs> that was it. I'm not feeling it today. And never went to the gym again. And he didn't make it to the NBA. In fact, he didn't even make it to college basketball. If you only do things that you feel like doing, you're never going to fulfill your potential. What about your ambition? Do you have stability in your ambition? Because if your ambition isn't aligned with your assignment, then even your accomplishments will be empty. You may achieve good things, but you won't achieve God things. And that's a problem. We can have ambitions for the wrong things. And that's kind of the obvious one. You know, Samson, the only things he had ambitions for was revenge and women. And he chased after both of them with a lot of passion and success, one might say. You can have ambition for the wrong things, but, but you know, you can even have ambition for the wrong size things. If you only pray to God to get a job, and don't pray to God that He will help you make a difference in your workplace, then your ambition is too small. Because anyone can have a job, but not anyone can make a difference. If you only ask God to bless you financially so that your needs will be met, then your ambitions are too small. Because we serve a God who He called Himself El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, the God who is more than enough. So, 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 so start praying for God to bless you financially in such a way that you'll have more than enough, not to get a bigger house, but to be able to bless more people, to be able to give more to God's kingdom. That is a big ambition. That's a right-sized ambition. If it's just about you, your ambition's too small. And here's one, and this, this one I, I, sh I shared with the team this morning is the scourge of our Western culture. Well, they all are. That's why I call them key areas. This one's a doozy. Are you stable in your relationships? Samson got into all his trouble from listening to the wrong people. We've been teaching in Elevate Youth at the moment how your friends will either make you or break you, that your friends shape your life. And uh, if you keep leaning on weak people, then don't ever be surprised when they let you down. If you put your head in Delilah's lap, don't be surprised when you wake up bald. Some of you, your friends are like Louis 15 years ago. They're drama queens. They thrive 
on the chaos of your life. And if you don't have chaos in your life, they'll create it for you because they need to be needed. Two of the, well, three really, three of the boxes that I tick for my inner circle of friends is one is trust. Two is high capacity because I want them to call me up to bigger and greater things. And the third one is low maintenance. I, I, I ain't gonna be your counselor, I'll be your friend. I'll be, I won't be a counselor. I'm not gonna be a therapist. There's a difference. You heard the, uh, well, you heard the term sympathy and you probably heard the term empathy. Do you know that they're not the same thing, even though they sound a little bit similar and often they're applied in similar explanations, but they're actually a different thing. And, and this is the best way and this is a super important thing to understand, both for you in being a friend, but also for you in choosing your friends. When you fall into a ditch and you will, and you have, some of you are in that ditch right now. So-called friends who demonstrate sympathy jump into that hole with you because misery loves company. And so they start gossiping with you and they start slandering with you and they start shrink-wrapping your thinking with you. Ah, that prick, I can't believe he did that. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, geez. And, and they, just, they, just, they just love the misery at the bottom of the hole. And the longer you're there, the happier they are. They're not A-list friends. And if you've got people like that in your world, you need some new squad goals. Empathy is not the same as sympathy. I want empathetic friends because here's what empathy is. Empathy is friend who gets into the hole with you for the express purpose of helping to get you out. Yeah, I understand why you're here. We've got that heart connection. And you know what? This isn't God's best for you. So hey, how about instead of wallowing in our misery, how about we figure out together how we're gonna get you out of this hole? That's empathy. That's the sort of friends I wanna have. Some of you need a new squad. Oh, well, but yeah, but some of my friends, we've been friends for years. Yeah, we all make mistakes. Some of your friends are shrink wrapping your, your potential. It's true. And I hear people say, oh yeah, but you know, I, I wanna show the love of Jesus to them. Yeah, I'm not talking about the sort of people that you're investing in and influencing. I'm talking about the sort of people that are unfortunately influencing you for something less than God's best. And some of you need to break up. And, and, and you know, the obvious one is the sorts of friends that lead you down the road of hookers and cocaine. It's like, yeah, we'll obviously need to break up with those friends. Well, yeah, yeah obviously you do, okay? Some of you need to write that down. No hookers or cocaine with friends or alone, which when it comes to hookers is just weird. Um, you know, I, bet you, I hope you're not writing that down, buddy. Uh, how do you spell cocaine again? Um, 
It's the last time Jordan's going to sit on the front row. Um, <laughs> Stewie, Stewie's learned a long time ago. Um, <laughs> um, so there's the obvious one, but, but the less obvious ones are the friends who cause you to think small, the friends who are always negative, the friends who are always cynical. And when you're with them, you are more negative, more cynical, and more small thinking. And you, you may just stop for a moment and, and consider whether there's some dots that you need to connect in order to disconnect. Relationship stability. So back to my question, why in the world did Samsung, Samsung and, and, and his and his, uh, and his older brother, Apple, who he, who he copied. Um, why did the writer of Hebrews include Samson? I, you know, I knew I was gonna say that. All week, I'm like, don't say Samsung, don't say Samsung. And I flippin' said Samsung. Okay, Mark, use your words. So why did he include it if, if Samson's story was all about going from strength to weakness. Well, let, let me read down at verse 21 from the same book of Judges. The Philistines seized Samson, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They sent him grinding grain in the prison. So here's what Delilah did wrong. She cut his hair or had someone cut his hair, she should have actually had him scalped because hair grows back most of the time. Hair grows back. But the hair in his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. See, some of you, just that, that's why you're here this morning. God wanted you to hear that. Some of you thought you were disqualified. But you need to understand hair grows back. You need to understand that God is a God of the second chance, that you have made some stupid decisions in your past that have caused you to be living less than God's best to now, but hair grows back. Strength returns and God can still use you. You're not disqualified, but you're unqualified and it's a great club to be a part of. In fact, this is the very reason we put this teaching series together because some of you have cropped yourself out of the calling God's given you and said, it's not possible. I couldn't possibly do that. If, 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 if you knew my past, yeah, God does know your past. That's the point. You're not disqualified if you turn to Him. He's the God of the second chance. So Samson was now back to full strength, but the question of stability remained. Well, they had... Samson locked up, his hair had grown back. And while the Philistines were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. Then they made another mistake. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple 
so that I may lean against them. Samson, at this point in his life, had the same amount of strength that he'd always had previously. And it's at this very moment in his life that he realized the missing piece was stability. He needed some pillars to apply his strength to, to bring stability and out of that stability, not increase strength, increase stability. He was able to apply the strength that he'd always had in a new way because here's what happened next. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself. It's the title of this message, Brace Yourself. Bracing himself against them. His right hand on one, his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple and the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. His strength didn't increase. His stability increased. And because he had increased stability, he was able to take the same strength and achieve his potential. It's a shame it took him to his dying day to realise that. And that's why I said at the beginning, I'm glad you're here today because I don't want this to be something that you don't realise until your dying day, but that you realise it today. That stability matters. That stability is going to be your lid if you don't get some of these key areas locked down, more stable. 